You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Good to be with you. Welcome to East Point Church. Exodus chapter 35 is where we're going to be today. And I want you to know that 30 trillion dollars, check the zeros, 30 trillion dollars, that is how much money will be transferred from a passing away generation to a remaining generation over the next 10 years. That's a lot of money. Economists are saying that this is going to be the largest transfer of wealth in human history. Talk to your wealth manager and they'll tell you non-cash assets, stocks, real estate, crypto, ETFs, DAFs, you name it. $30 trillion is going to be handed over from a previous generation to a new generation. It's a lot of money. When I read that, I had to check the zeros. $30 trillion. But as I read the article, what caught my attention more than the economist stats are the sociologist's conclusions. You see, those who study human traits, those who study the generations of humanity have told us, their studies have shown, that these remaining generations are asking a singular, powerful question, and it's this. What can I do with my money that matters? Studies are showing. Generations who remain, these generations that stand to inherit this wealth, they no longer give out of, out of duty. They no longer give out of obligation. Remaining generations, they give to a cause. They want to make a difference. They want to contribute to something that they believe in. They want to be a part of something with their means that has meaning. Part of something that is bigger than them. And so the article that I read, it said that millennials, where are my millennials at? Hello? Millennials are, this, are, are the most generous generation. That's what they've been dubbed, the most generous generation, that they are giving the highest percentage of their income than any other generation. Why? Because they want to contribute to a cause. Talk to millennial. They'll even tell you that they buy the eggs that they buy because it's a cause. They shop at the stores that they shop. They go to the restaurants that they go to because of the cause. Millennials, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And you may not be a millennial. That's okay. I think what we all have in common, regardless of our age, regardless of our background, all of us want to be a part of something significant. And so whether you have been a follower of Jesus for decades or whether you're just here exploring faith and you're like, dude, I'm just, I just got to figure out what's happening in my life. Wherever you are, I think something that we all have in common is that we desire to be a part of something that matters. We want to contribute to something that will last Right, we're in this room, and, and if we were to take inventory of our most valuable possessions, right, our time, our money, our energy, what we do for a living, our work, what we output, we want to give to something that matters. We want to know, is what I'm building, will it matter in a hundred years? Is what I'm contributing the energy of my life toward, is this a winning cause or a wasted cause? 
We want to contribute to something that matters. Famous quote here, Field of Dreams. How many of you can finish this phrase? It says, if you build it. Ah, okay, so you know it. But that's not the question we're asking. That's not the statement we're making. We live in a culture, we live in a generation, you and I are a people that we don't say, if you build it, they will come. We say, if you build it, will it matter? More and more, we're becoming a people that say, if we build it, will it make a difference? Is it worthwhile to build? Is it worth giving toward? Is it worth using our skillful hands to build it? If you build it, will it matter? Will it matter next week? Will it matter next year? Will it matter in a hundred years? This morning, I want to turn your attention to Exodus chapter 35 because we're going to see a group of people who get behind a project. We're going to see a group of people who get behind a vision with such a level of enthusiasm, with such a level of engagement that it's a little bit surprising. But as we see these people mobilize, as we see them rally, my prayer for us this morning is that we would consider what it is that we're building. What is it that we're giving toward? What is it that we are contributing the energy of our life toward? And is it worth it? My prayer is that we would consider, and my other prayer is that we would be inspired, that we would leave here today more committed to give the energy of our life towards something that matters, towards something that will reach our children, towards something that will transform our communities, towards something that will change quite literally the world for all of eternity. All hands on deck, church. All hands on deck. Because what we're building, it matters. So let's look at the first few verses. Exodus 35, beginning in verse 4. This is God's word for East Point Church this morning. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linens. Goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins. Acacia wood, oil for the light spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breast piece. Let's pause there. Mm. Did you hear what I said this morning? Ramskins, acacia wood. What's happening here? The first thing we see is as these people rally for this endeavor, the Lord calls for generous hearts. The Lord calls for generous hearts. We see Moses and he tells them of God's command. He says, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded you. And so we know, how many commandments are there? Ten, okay, making sure. And so we know the story. Moses, he goes up the mountain. He goes up Mount Sinai. He's in the presence of God and God gives him how many? Ten commandments, right? We know the big ten. And we, we've always thought, he goes up the mountain He gets the Ten Commandments, and he goes back down. But there's more. Not only did he receive the Ten Commandments, he also was instructed on a variety of things. And so while he's up there in the presence of God, God gives him instructions on economics, on civic law, 
He, he gives him instructions for the community on social responsibility. He talks to him and says, hey, teach the community how to celebrate the holidays and how to observe the religious festivals. He even gives them instructions while Moses is on the mountain for how to build a sanctuary. Look what it says in Exodus 25. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me and let them make me a sanctuary. Why? That I may dwell in their midst. Friends, we have to understand before we even get going on this text, this is not any old building project. This is not God just just doing a construction project to get the people busy. What God is doing in these verses is a moment in the redemptive drama of Scripture. You see, here at East Point, we believe that the Bible is one big story. This is one big drama of how God has pursued lost humanity, how he has responded to our sin and failure with grace, and he brings us back into his family. And from the very beginning of this story, we hear an echo. We hear a refrain repeated throughout all the scriptures, and it's this, God with us. He's not a faraway, distant God. From the very beginning, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. He made man and woman, and then what does he do? He says, good luck, call me if you need me. Nope, he walks in the garden with them. God with us. We flip the pages and we get to Abraham and we see that God, he says to Abraham, I will make a family out of you and I will be your God and you will be my people and I will walk with you. We flip the page and we see that he saves Israel out of slavery to Egypt and he doesn't say, good luck, call me if you need me. No, he's in the midst and he leads them as a pillar of fire and as a cloud. And then we get to the sanctuary in Exodus 35. And he says, now I'm going to build a temple. Now I'm going to build a sanctuary, a tabernacle. Why? Not because I'm cold, not because I'm homeless, not because I need shelter, but because I'm going to make a radical statement to you and the whole watching world that I am the God who dwells in your midst. I am the God who moves into the neighborhood. Build me a sanctuary because I'm going to dwell right in the midst of sinful people. Wow. Now that's a cause. That's a cause. While we're here, let's just continue the story. It, goes, it gets even better. We turn to the New Testament, and we see that this same God would once again move into the neighborhood, but he wouldn't indwell a tent of animal skins. He would indwell a tent of flesh. And Jesus Christ, he comes, and he puts on skin, and he moves down the street, and he's right there in your sin and your mess. God with us. Come on, we're on a roll. Let's keep turning the pages. Let's get to the end of the story. We turn to Revelation and we hear this. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is where all of human history is moving toward. This is what East Point Church exists for. This is why Jesus came to earth, so that we can experience God with us, in relationship with us, in proximity to us. And so he says, build me a sanctuary. What a tremendously worthwhile endeavor. What a fantastic idea for a project. But just like anything that is worthwhile, we learn that this tremendous work requires resources. (laughs) 
How many, do, any general contractors in the room? Any of you give quotes to people for work? You're in the trades? Okay, cool. So you, you're going you're gonna to enjoy this, all right? There is a cost to doing what God has called them to do. He starts to tell them the supply list. He starts to tell them what they need to organize to build this ornate tabernacle. And we see, he says, you're going to need precious metals. It's not the Olympics, but he says, you're going to need gold, silver, and bronze. He says, I want you to collect colored yarns and linens. Those are expensive, dyed linens. He says, animal hair, animal skins. We're going to need wood, not just, not just like scrap wood that you get on the beach. We need acacia wood. We need durable, enduring wood. He says, we need oil. Anybody sell essential oils? He said, we're going to need the oils. We're going to need the spices and the herbs. We're going to need the precious stones. And you start to look at the supply list here, and you're going, the scope of this project is huge. The tabernacle is going to be breathtaking. This is going to be visually stunning. When people look at this, it will be beautiful. And apparently, spiritual is not a synonym for skimpy. He says, get the supplies, because we're building this thing. It's going to require resources. It's going to require supplies. And so the Lord tells Moses to call for a contribution from among the people. All who are of generous heart, here's the call, let him bring. Let her bring. He's calling for an offering. Now, I just want to think about it for a moment, because this is the way my mind works. And maybe this is not you, but this is how I work. I go, this is the same God who brought manna down from heaven. Could he not have just brought a tabernacle? Boom, tabernacle. I'm just saying, like, this is the same God who spoke the world into existence. Could he not have just said, let there be sanctuary? Boom, and there was sanctuary, and it was good. And we get Morgan Friedman to narrate it. It'd be amazing. This is the God who could have just spoke it into existence. He could have dropped it from the sky, and yet, instead, he puts the resources for the project in the hands of the congregation, and he tells them to construct it. He invites the congregation to participate in this endeavor, to experience the joy, the sheer fun of being a part of something that matters. And he says, everything that you need to accomplish what I'm calling you to do is among you. Let them bring and build. Now again, I just, I just ask questions. If you don't ask questions when you read your Bible, you're not reading it right. Ask questions. And so I read this and I go, okay, where did recently released enslaved people get gold, silver, and bronze? Like at what point when they were running from Pharaoh, did they have time to get a wealth manager and to invest in some stocks? Like at what point did they accumulate wealth? Like did they invest? Like Where? And so I just, I just read. I just go, man, how did this happen? And you flip back and you find this passage in Exodus 12. Listen to this. As they're leaving Egypt, as Egypt is crippled and broken, as they are on their faces realizing that, the, that Yahweh is the one true God and not all their little Egypt gods, God tells them to ask for money. Listen to what it says. They had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. Dude, the Bible is a bad book. 
Look at this. God, he has just crippled Egypt. And they're like, yes, we're free. And God says, hey, before you go, ask for all their gold, silver, and bronze. And they're like, uh, before we go, can we have all of your jewelry, bronze, silver? And they say, take it. And they plundered them. They plundered them. But here's why I'm highlighting this, right? Because before God ever asked for them to bring the resources, he already gave them the resources. Fifteen chapters before he, or more than that, 20 chapters before he calls for it, he already gave it to them. Here's my point, East Point Church. When God calls his people to do something, there's always a cost, but he always provides that cost. When God calls a group of people to mobilize, when he gives a call for generous hearts, he's not asking for anything that he hasn't already given and provided. And so Moses He calls for a contribution as instructed. He calls for generous hearts. He calls for people to bring the supplies. But as he calls for them, did you notice? Did you notice who they're making the checkout to? Look at your Bible. Look what it says. Did you notice who they're making the checkout to as they bring the offering? You see, Moses presented the need, but the people are presenting to the Lord. This is the Lord's contribution. This is not a gift for Moses. This is not a gift even for the tabernacle. This is not a gift for the cause. This is a gift for the Lord. And I just, man, just let's, let's pause. Let's recalibrate our minds because I have the privilege of, of leading a very generous church. I mean, you guys, thank you. I, I guess that's all I can, thank you. Tremendously generous church. We raised over $25,000 last year for local organizations and outreach initiatives. I mean, thank you. Can we just thank, like, thank you for being a generous church. Thank yourself. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Very generous church. And so it's, it's easy to preach from this posture. But here's what I want to do. Those of you who give, for those of you who are generous, just a, just a little, little tweak, a little, a little mind twist to how we think about this. When we write our checks, when we do our automated giving, when you go on your church center app and you give, Are you giving to a leader? Are you giving to a cause? Do you view yourself as giving to an organization as an act of charitable contributions? Or do you have the mentality of Exodus 35 that what you're doing is first and foremost an act of worship to the Lord? Do you view your gifts, your generous gifts, as worship to God? Moses is the means. The tabernacle is the occasion. But God is the recipient. So East Point Church, give to the Lord. To the Lord. And so Moses, he calls, or the Lord rather, calls for generous hearts. But look what else he calls for. Pay attention here. I want you to, if you have a pencil, you might even try to track with me as we look through these verses. Very interesting. He calls for generous hearts. And then look what else he calls for. Verse 10 says this. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases. The ark with its poles, the mercy seat and the veil of the screen. The table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for the light, with its utensils and its lamps, and the oil for the light, and the altar 
of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gates of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons for their service as priests. Let me read that one more time for you, right? <laughs> You're like, what is happening? Do you not see this? I know it's, it's a lot of supplies and it's a lot of ramskins and tent poles, but listen to me, what God is doing here is so important because not only does he call for generous hearts, the Lord is summoning skillful hands. You see, the project is not just gonna take resources. It requires skills. To complete the tabernacle, it's going to require skillful craftsmen. We need artisans, Moses is saying, who can take the supplies and expertly put them together. There are people that he's calling for who have the ability to make the vision that exists in the mind of God a reality. That's beautiful. And so notice the various types of craftsmen that are needed. He says, hey, we're going to need people who know how to work wood. Any woodworkers out there? How many of you in this room know how to frame a building? I'm just curious. I'm not raising my hand because I do. I don't. But we need, we need y'all who can frame a building. Uh, he says, we're going to need some woodworkers who can build a table that won't collapse when I put the bread on it. We need people who can work wood. All hands on deck. He continues. He goes, we're going to need people who, uh, who can work leather. Any leather workers out there? Anybody know how to tan Hide. Anybody know how to, how to cut animal skins and dry them and cure them? So that way when I walk into the temple, I don't get a funky smell because they've been dried properly. You know what I'm talking about? He says, how many of you in this room, I, I, need, I need people who can work metal. He says, hey, all hands on deck. Anybody know how hot the, the metal needs to be heated to in order to melt? Anybody know how to make a lampstand? Not your boy. Anybody know how to mold utensils? We're going to need you. We're going to need you. He says, does anybody, uh, anybody know decor? Any interior designers in this room? Come on. How many of you have the eye? I see you. Okay, ladies. Yep. You're like, I'm looking at you with the eye right now. You have the eye. You can walk into a room and, and you just know what looks good. And guess what? In the tabernacle, we have a lot of hangings. We have curtains. And so I need people who can help make sure that the tabernacle doesn't look shabby. Okay? He says, I'm going to need people who are perfumers. Any oil people in the room? Anybody know how to mix the oil and the incense so that way God's house smells fragrant and not foul? That's important, people. Anybody good at math? He says we're going to need people to take measurements because we need that sanctuary to be square, not the leaning tower of Yahweh, okay? Who knows how to make sure that the plumb line is straight? All those things. And then I actually just noticed this this morning. It wasn't in my notes, but I noticed he's also going to need bakers. Who knows how to bake me some bread? Because we're going to need bread fully stocked in the house of God. And God's people said, amen. He says, we need the bread of the presence. All hands on deck. There is a lot of skill. There is a lot of expertise that is required for this project. But here's the beautiful part. Just as the Lord has given them all of the resources that they need for the project, he has also given them all of the graces and the gifts and the skills that they need for this project. 
He's given them the funds to pay for it, and he's also given them the gifts to construct it. Here's how I know. Because he didn't tell them to sub out the jobs to Egypt. He didn't tell them to look in the yellow pages for a plumber from the Philistines. No, he says, the craftsmen that you need, where are they? Among you. Every gift you need, every skill you need, all of the artisans and the craftsmen that you need, all of the skills and training that you need is already in the house from among the congregation. And so I'm just curious, be bold this morning. How many of you would say, I am a creative? How many of you are right-brained, creative people? Nice and high, let me see you. Okay, you're creative. I'm about to give you your new favorite Bible verse. Are you ready? This is literally in the Bible. Like, you can't make this stuff up. You go to the end of chapter 35, and look what it says in verse 31 through 33. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. God singled out his first general contractor for the sanctuary, and it wasn't just any old Joe Schmo. He says, no, I've called this guy. I've put my spirit on him, and the skill, and the expertise, and the artistic design, and the competency, and the aptitude, his ability to do all those things are my grace to him. Creatives, do you hear the call? Craftsmen, do you hear the call? Those who are among you, he says, come and make. The Lord summons skillful hands. Come and make. Come and use your gifts and abilities as an act of worship to the Lord. Hey, makers. Hey, designers. Hey, artists. Hey, artisans. Come and use your gift for the glory of God because he gave it to you. You see, in the church world, we know very well that the missional impact that God is calling us to, take, to make is going to require resources. We know that. It's going to take funds. It's going to take money. It requires resources. We know that. But this passage reminds me that resources are only a part of it. That in addition to resources for the mission, we also need skillful hands. This passage reminds me that the Lord has equipped our family. He has equipped East Point Church with a wealth of gifts and abilities, and marketplace experience, and training. And if we leveraged those abilities for the kingdom of God, we can build something beautiful. You see, it's so easy for us in this room to, we come to a gathering on Sundays, and we serve. Thank you, by the way, right? We serve on a ministry team, or in the kids' ministry, and, and we do our Sunday thing, but then we leave here, and we go, all right, back to real life, Monday through Friday. And for some reason, we, we don't view our Monday through Friday role just as holy, just as anointed as what we do on Sunday in the church, right? I'm an usher, but the fact that I'm a financer or, or, or a, a CPA Monday through Friday, like that doesn't matter to God. And I just wonder what would happen if we were a church that viewed our Monday through Friday self just as important as our Sunday self. What would it be like if we were a church that leveraged the gifts and abilities that God has given us in our lives and in our careers and in our marketplace for the kingdom? I spent all of 30 seconds looking around the room in my mind this week, and here's what I came up with. This is like literally at East Point Church. We have CPAs with professional skills. 
We have military leaders with world-class training. We have educated school administrators. We have general contractors, electricians, and plumbers. We have YouTube content creators. We have software developers. We have counselors. We have physical therapists in this room. Could it be? Could it be that God has graced us? Could it be that God has gifted us in specific ways, not just to earn a living out there, but to leverage skills for the kingdom of God? What kind of impact would it make if we were a church who had a come and make mentality? Your Monday through Friday anointing, that's the real you, and God wants all of you. He calls for generous hearts. He summons skillful hands. And look how they respond. Verse 20, last section here. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel, they departed from the presence of Moses, and they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, All who were of willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects made in Egypt. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contributions. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil. And for the fragrant incense, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. They brought it. They got involved. Those with skills, they came and made. Those with resources brought an offering to the Lord. They got after the project. But here's what Moses wants us to know, and here's what you and I need to know. The people aren't made to do it. They're moved to do it. If you look in your text, you'll see this energy just comes over the people. There's there's an overwhelming level of engagement. Go ahead and underline every time you see the word every or all or everyone, 11 times in these 10 verses. We hear everyone did it. All the men and women, all of them brought it. Everyone whose heart moved them, all, every, each, all, 11 times. These people brought it. They gave themselves to the work. But here's what Moses wants us to know. Their participation was not external coercion, but an internal compulsion. These people were not pushed to do it. They were pulled by their hearts to do it. Look at what it says. Everyone whose heart stirred him. Everyone whose spirit moved him. This enthusiasm was genuine. This enthusiasm came from the heart. There was genuine joy to participate. 
There was a genuine enthusiasm to engage and contribute to the work. They were loving this. And I just can't help but marvel at how healthy this is. How healthy is it that nowhere in these verses does Moses threaten them? If you don't raise enough money, I'm turning this caravan around right now. We're going back to Egypt. Hope you didn't throw out your chains because by God, so help me. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He doesn't manipulate them or shame them. After all I've done for you, you know how many hours I've worked on this project? Do you know what I've gone through to deliver you? If we don't raise enough right now, I don't see that. He doesn't guilt them. Man, if you really loved God, you wouldn't be so lazy, people. If you really loved God, you wouldn't. He doesn't push them. He doesn't manipulate them. This is so healthy. It says that their hearts pulled them. Their hearts stirred them. So they gave, they worked, and it wasn't forced. It says their hearts stirred them to use their skill. It says their heart moved them. And so the result was not forced, but a free will offering. Is this not how God wants us to give? Should this not be the culture of every church? Like, this is what we want for East Point Church. He, God doesn't want a forced, begrudging gift from our hands. He wants a cheerful overflow from our hearts. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful gift. You know what cheerful means? It means you're full of cheer. Did you know that? I looked it up. It's amazing. I have a dictionary. Cheerful. Like, cheer. Like, can we cheer? Ready? Hip, hip. Yeah, there it is. Cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. Can you imagine for a moment, imagine next week, I stand up here and say, hey, everybody, uh, we're going to take the offering. We're going to pray over the offering. Thank you for your gifts. And the whole church said, hip, hip. Hip, hip. Yeah. Like how wild would that be if we lived in a church, if we gathered as a church that when we had the opportunity to give, when there was a moment to contribute, there was something inside of us that said, yes, I cheer because I love what is happening and I get to give. That'd be wild. And that's exactly what happened in Exodus. And that's exactly what happens every week at East Point Church. We have a cheerful, generous church. We'll try it next week, right? We'll pray for the offering and we'll see. Let's just do it, right? Like, but like, why not? What if we had a reflex that every time we saw a need, we said, yes, I get to give. That's cheerful, not a dutiful giver. Not an obligatory giver, not a begrudging giver, not a faithful giver. Cheerful. We give with a smile. I think that'd be wild, right? Like first time guests would be like, yo, y'all got a cult going on in here. So we might have to like hit them up at first step to tell them that I planned that. But seriously, this, this is the culture of generosity. This is the culture of stewardship that we want for East Point Church. That we would never be a place where you feel pressure. So can we just say that? No pressure. There's no pressure to give. There is no shame. There is no guilt. Our prayer is that we would become enthusiastic from the heart 
Our prayer is that we would have eyes to see what God is doing and that the goodness of his plan, that the worthwhile nature of his vision and mission would compel us. The nature of his life-saving, world-transforming, eternity-shaping mission would move us from the heart. And so very practically, maybe you're new here and you don't know how we do it. That's why at East Point, we never ask you for a certain amount. We never say, all right, now you need to be at this level of giving and you need to give this one. Dude, no, we never do that because that would be coercion, right? I can't really say that word well. Coercion. Am I getting it? Coercion. That would be coerced, okay? Instead, here's what we do. Very, very simple. We just encourage you, ask God what he wants you to do with the money that he gave you. And then just obey him. Between you and the Lord, it's that simple. Ask God, Father, let me take my cue from you on money. How would you like me to worship you with the money that you've given me? And then I would just encourage you to obey him. Because it will transform your life when you start to take your cues about money from God. It will transform your life. Talk to any veteran follower of Jesus in this room who, who, who has made giving a regular part of their life for a long time, and they will tell you there is nothing like the joy of giving and contributing to something that is changing the world. There's nothing like it. And so we see the Israelites here. I imagine that their hearts, I imagine that their minds, their imaginations, they were stirred, they were moved because they saw the vision of what God was doing. They saw that God wanted to reveal himself as God with us. They realized that God was making a place where man could meet God. And they said, what is more worthwhile, my talents and treasures, than to see God move into people's midst and for them to know him and be in relationship with him? Every time they lifted up the tabernacle, every time they contributed to the sanctuary, every time they constructed the tabernacle in the wilderness, it's like they were building a billboard that communicated to the world. Have you ever heard of a God who moved into the neighborhood to be in a relationship with us? Blinking lights. We have. His name is Yahweh. And they said, what a worthwhile cause. I want to contribute to a project that will communicate the glory of God with us. Some of you are like, this is where he's going to tell us we're building a building. Get ready. We're not. I, sh- I should have saved this sermon for like five years from now. This would be a great like pre-building project sermon. We're not building a tabernacle. We're not building a building. But if you were to ask those people, if you were to query them and say, hey, why are you giving so wholeheartedly? Why are you so about this project? They would say this, God's eternal work compels my eager gift. What God is doing is so significant. It is so much bigger than who I am. What God is doing matters, and so I will give myself. They were probably singing that song, available. It's all yours, Lord. Take it. I'm with you. Whatever you need from me, right? Friends, we're not building a tabernacle. East Point Church is not building a sanctuary. But I'm telling you this. We have the opportunity this week and every week to contribute to something that's even greater than the tabernacle even greater than the tabernacle, I said. You see, we have a mission that shows God's nearness in a way that no tent in the wilderness ever could. God is building a gospel community. He calls it his church, and he is building it so that it can proclaim the life-changing message of Jesus Christ who loved us so much that he has come near to us, not in a building, but in a body. 
We have the message of Jesus Christ, and you and I get to be a part of this endeavor. You see, East Point Church, we exist to share one message and one message only, that God, the creator of heaven and earth, he is so full of grace that he came and pursued lost and sinful people. He came in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus lived a perfect life, a life that you and I could never live, and then he died in our place so that we can be called children of God. And this God who is with us, he is so full of mercy, he is so full of grace that not only did he forgive us when we first came to him, but every single day he invites us to come and admit our neediness and he gives us grace to keep going. I'm not just forgiven for my past sins. Every single day I come to him as a father, very aware of my inabilities as a father. And I say, God, I can't do what you've designed me to do. I can't be the man you've called me to be. And he gives me grace and he transforms me. Every single day I come to Jesus and I say, God, I can't be the husband that you've called me to be. I can't be the husband that lays down my life sacrificial. I can't do what you've designed me to do. God, I admit my weakness. And he gives me grace. And he treats me better than I deserve. And he transforms me. God, there's no way I can stand and maintain this sexual ethic that you've described here. Who, Father, who can possibly maintain this sexual ethic? And he meets us in grace. And it says that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness as his divine power works in us. There's grace. There's grace. The world needs to know the grace of God with us. The world needs to know the hope of Jesus Christ. Friends, we're not building a tabernacle. We're not building a sanctuary, but because of your generosity, right now we have 60 students who are meeting God at camp. We have 60 students who are over there right now in RVR, and they are learning about God with us. Because of your generosity, because of your skillful hands, there are students who are inundated with garbage every single day at school. Our teenagers live in a culture of weird ideologies. They're pushed to the fringe. They're treated with animosity, saying, dude, stop being annoying. You're useless. This generation has no hope. And now they're at camp. And because of your generosity, students that you may never even meet are learning that God loves them more than they could have ever hoped for, and he's moved near to them in the person of Jesus. Thank you. We're not building a tabernacle, friends. Because of you, because of your generosity and your skillful hands, do you know that East Point Church has an unavoidable presence in our community right now? Unavoidable. There are people in this community who used to think that evangelical Christian church were cuss words. There are people in this community who used to think that God was a far away, angry God who wanted nothing to do with them. But because you, church, in your generosity, moved toward them, invaded their space, and blessed them, they just got a glimpse of God with us. Because of your generosity, every single month, we have 452 people who professed faith through water baptism last year among 33 active church plants in our Times 12 network. 452 people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. 452 people said, I now see that I was lost and I need Jesus' grace to live. And you'll never meet any of them. But your eternal ROI, I call it your E-R-O-I, all right? 
Maybe you know what your financial portfolio looks like. I can't wait till you guys get to see your eternal portfolio. And God's like, oh, you invested a little bit in teenagers here. I see that's doing really well. A lot of salvations. I see you've also invested in some local outreach. That's doing really well. Look how many people have come to faith in me. Wow, I see you've contributed uh, over here in this other thing with kids ministry. And oh my goodness, you're making a difference, church. Do you know that right now, I'm so excited, we have 10, 10 brand new church plants that are underway to see the gospel move into new communities. 10 brand new church plants are underway in times 12 so that more and more people can hear the message of God with us. We're not building a tabernacle. We're building something better. We're building the fame of Jesus Christ. And every time people see Jesus, every time they hear his message, they go, I want that because God is with us. Friends, what God is doing here matters. It matters. He's calling for generous hands. He's generous hearts. He's calling for skillful hands. He's inviting you this morning to experience the joy of participating in something that will matter a hundred years from now and for all of eternity. You see, God's eternal work compels my eager gift. We're having fun here. So much better to give than to receive, is it not? So much better to see people get baptized and to go, thank you, Lord, I invested in that. Thank you, Lord, I had stock in those baptisms. Thank you, Lord, I had stock in those children going to camp. Thank you, Lord, I had stock in those students. Thank you, Lord, I had stock in those community people. And my stock never goes down, baby. Because I've invested where neither Roth not, not Roth, where neither rust nor moth can destroy. Eternal Roth, IRAs, look it up. I've invested in something that can't be stolen by thief, it can't be broken into. We're investing in something that matters. And so I just want to say, as your pastor, first of all, let me just say this, like, for all of you who are on a serve team, for all of you who use your skillful hands and your professional experiences and, and your, your world-class training and competencies, just thank, can we just thank them right now? Thank you for being generous with your time, generous with your talents. Thank you. We can't do this without you. Thank you. For those of you who give regularly, I want to say a huge thank you to you. The mission that you are investing in, like I said, I can't wait till you get to heaven and you see your portfolio. Oh man, I can't wait. I really can't. Because you're going to say, God, it was worth it. All right. And so I have a challenge for you this morning. Maybe you're here, and my heart goes out to you. Those of you who are newer to faith, maybe you're new to church, maybe you didn't grow up in this like I did. I, I think of you a lot during these messages because, you see, I grew up in the faith, and my dad, whenever I did a job, he gave me $3. One to give to the church, one to save in my piggy bank, and one to spend however I want. I see some of you nodding, and you're like, yes, right? Even as a child, like, Dad, I'm not good at math, but one-third... So I've had these principles, I've had these habits ingrained in me since I was a child. Like I, I've been giving my whole life. My wife and I, it's just, we've never even questioned it. It's just how we do. We give the first fruits of our income toward the mission. But for those of you who you're new to this, you have a, this is like, you have a lot of stuff working against you, right? This is, it takes a lot of energy, the barrier to entry to making worshipful giving a regular part of your life. That's hard. My heart goes out to you. And so here's what I want to do. 
I'm gonna give you a challenge, all right? I'm gonna very practically, here's what you could do. Here's how this works. If you have never made regular giving a part of your spiritual life, maybe you give every once in a while, like, you know, when you got a little bit of extra left over out of the surplus, you give and you, you tip, you know, that was a great sermon, Sam, thanks. That's not how it works. Don't do that, okay? But here's my challenge to you. What if, what if you departed from here, right? Because it says Moses gave the call and they departed and then they came back which means they had to think about it. I love that. It wasn't impulsive. They weren't swept up in the moment. It wasn't emotionalism. They took a moment, they prayed, and they came back and they gave. And so here's what I want you to do. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're playing double dutch. And you're like, I'd love to give. I, that sounds awesome. I want to get into, onto the giving bus, but I, man, that's hard. I don't know how to do it. Here's what you do. Go home and you pray, Lord, what would you have me give from every paycheck? Every time I receive money, what would you have me give toward your mission. Ask him. And whatever he puts on your heart, just do it. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't need permission. Just ask him, Lord, out of the money you've given me, what would you like me to worship you with as a contribution? And whatever he puts on your heart, just do it. And so here's what I'm going to do. This is where it's going to get funny. I got permission for this. I don't know if it's ever been done before, but I'm going to go for it, all right? This is how, how passionate we are, how convinced we are that this will change your life. Do it for 90 days. That's it. Do it for 90 days. See what happens. And if at the end of 90 days you regret it, we'll give you your money back. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You're like, Haha, I'm not laughing. I'm dead serious. Because when you start to take your cues from the Lord, on your money. It will change everything. It'll change your relationship to money. It will change your relationship to material possessions. It will transform your soul. And so try it for 90 days. And if you want more information, just text us 90 day give, and we'll give you all the information tomorrow. Because we want to be a church that says God's eternal work compels my eager gift. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, God. Thank you for your word, for the Bible our instructions for life and godliness. God, I pray that you would move us from the heart, that we would be stirred to experience the joy of generous hearts and skillful hands. And Father, I pray that you would take our gifts, you would take our offerings, and that you would change the world, that you would save people, that more and more people would be baptized, that more and more marriages would be saved, that more and more uh, uh, parenting situations would be redeemed and restored. Transform the world, Lord. Fill them with meaning as they learn that the life they were designed to live was a life of devotion to you and service to others. We love you, Father. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.